following message is presented by Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Aaron and I joke often that we are the least sentimental people of all time. Like we are, we are not sentimental people. We, last spring, we cleaned out our attic and we just chuck stuff. Like we throw it out. Um, like, like for example, some people, and if this is you, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying there are people who keep like their kids worn out bibs or a lock of their hair or, you know, something like that. We chuck all that stuff, right? We're just not, that's, that's not us. For some of you, that's, that's who you are. That's great. That's awesome that you're sentimental. We are not. But even for us as people who are not at all sentimental, we throw out almost all our kids' artwork. Shh. Even for us, as people who are not sentimental, right? There are still things in our lives that we cherish. There are heirlooms that we have that are passed down through our families that that we hang on to. For me, the, the most cherished heirloom, some of you can probably guess what it is, but it's guitars, that my dad has passed down to me that I will hang on to that hopefully I will be able to give to my kids, right? But there's, there's some kind of heirloom. And many of you have heirlooms in your families. You have those treasures that are passed down from generation to generation, those heirlooms that carry some kind of special meaning. Maybe they don't have any monetary value, but they are priceless because they are part of your family. Maybe you have some of your grandmother's china or you have some jewelry that, that a parent has passed on, or you have some piece of furniture that you would just never let go of because it was in some family member's house, whatever it is. Right? Not because they are valuable, but because they're part of your family. In Genesis 12, I think back all the way back to Genesis 12, God promised to make Abraham's family a great nation. Where we find ourselves today in Genesis 25 is that now Abraham's life is over. Abraham has died. But we still see God's promise to Abraham. We still see that promise being preserved through the next generation and the next and the next. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see how Abraham's most treasured heirloom was passed down through his family. But today, we have to ask one question. If that heirloom of God's promise is going to be passed through Abraham's children and his children's children and their children and their children's children, what is it that is necessary for the next generation to receive the promise of God? What's the the fertile soil that, that must be present to accept that promise and that blessing? The answer is faith. It's an unwavering faith, an unwavering trust in the Lord. One that their patriarch Abraham had. And so for us, as we think about that, and as we read this passage, we have to ask ourselves, well, okay, what does it look for us? What does it look like for us in our lives to have that same fertile soil of faith that Abraham had? that was necessary for his children to receive the promise and their children to receive the promise? What does it look like for us to be ready to receive that promise? 
In Genesis 25, verse 19 through 26, it reveals to us that true faith that is carried on to the next generation. A true faith that carries the torch of God's blessings, of his love, and of his provision. So what does that look like? First, we're going to see in verses 19 through 21 that true faith seeks the Lord. True faith seeks the Lord. Genesis 25, verses 19 through 21. These are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paden Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. True faith seeks the Lord. These first verses uh, of the story of, of Isaac and Rebekah is focused really on one thing. The, the focus is on Rebekah's childlessness. This is the, the central theme to these verses. Rebekah's childlessness. And, and, and it, it's really focused there for two reasons. We should see two things here. First, on the surface, we're meant to see a connection between Rebecca and her mother-in-law, Sarah. If you remember for, for Abram and, and Sarah, for Abraham and Sarah, there was a problem in their lives as well, remember? There was childlessness. Remember when God made the promise to Abram, in Genesis 12, he was 75 years old without any children. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham's like, okay, thumbs up, God. And then what happens? 25 years go by without children. 25 years. And his wife has not had this child. So he's 100 years old. Sarah's in her 90s, without children. You're still gonna be a great nation. Okay. You get to Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And, and in this story, God has come to visit Abraham. And he's spending time talking with Abraham. And he says this, starting in verse 10, Genesis 18. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. A uh, duh. So she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and I am old and my Lord is old, will I have the delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Then he says this, verse 14. This is the key. Is anything impossible for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Right, so on the surface level here, we go, yeah, Sarah was, was barren. She didn't have children. She didn't think God was gonna do what God was gonna do. 
And Isaac and Rebecca go through the same thing. There's a connection here. We see this. Sarah waited 90 years to have a son. Remember who that son was, Isaac. And now Isaac's wife struggles with this same thing. So on the surface, we see this connection between Rebecca and Sarah. But when we go a little deeper, we're meant to see how Isaac pursues Rebecca's healing. How does Isaac go about this problem? What does he do? My wife is childless. She can't have children. God's supposed to be bringing this promise through our family line. What do I do? Look at the passage again. What does he do? Isaac asks God to intervene in a situation where he knows he has no power. He goes to the Lord in prayer. He seeks the Lord. See, Isaac knows that God alone can deliver here. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Isaac ever heard about how he was Sarah and Abraham's miracle baby? I'll guarantee you he heard it over and over and over and over again. Because God answered their prayer in this most unlikely way and gave them Isaac. And so Isaac knows what God can do. And so he goes to the Lord, seeking this deliverance, this hope, this joy, that could not be found any other way. Many of you have stories in your lives of, of seeing God do what only God can do. We talked about that a little bit this morning, even as we prayed together. We've seen God do miracles in births. We've seen God deliver divine healings. We've seen God deliver from the bondage of addictions. We've seen God restore marriages and families and joy and hope to our lives. Have we not? See, life, I'm gonna tell you something that you all probably know at this point. Life will rarely be easy and life was never promised to us to be easy. The mark of true faith, the mark of one with true faith is not somebody who has never been through struggles. It's not somebody whose life goes perfectly and looks really shiny and clean on the outside. The mark of true faith is one who turns to the Lord when things aren't easy, when things don't go according to plan, when things don't look shiny and pretty on the outside. And listen, when I say True faith seeks the Lord. We remember the fact that God has given us many ways to meet the struggles in our lives. Again, we talked about this even when we prayed together this morning, that God has given us medical advancements and and medicines for physical ailments. He's given us professional counselors to help with emotional trauma. He's given us human innovation and scientific advancements to provide better food and water and clothing and basic human necessities. And all of that can be really good. And we should praise God for that. But at the end of the day, there is no greater healer. There is no greater counselor. There is no greater provider than Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can heal, 
can counsel, can provide what we truly need in this life because only Jesus left the throne of heaven to enter the earth in a human form so that he could live a perfect life, one that you and I were designed to live but failed, so that he could die on a cross, suffering, bleeding, being beaten, so that he could die a death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin, so that he could rise from the grave, leaving an empty tomb behind, showing his complete victory, his complete sovereignty over everything this world has to throw at us, so that he could deliver us from our sin and deliver us to the throne of God, where we will stand one day in judgment and God will look at us and not judge us based off how good or how poorly we live this life, but off the righteousness of Jesus Christ who did what we couldn't do, who delivers where we can't deliver, who provides where we can't provide, who restores what we cannot restore. The mark of true faith is not the question of if or will we, if or will, or if we have or will we have struggles. The mark of true faith is a question of where we turn when the struggles hit us. Okay, so what does that mean for our lives today? What's that mean for the, the battles and the struggles that are gonna come against you this week? How do we remain and maintain a, a faithful response in light of the battles, the struggles, the heartaches? We remember the Lord. We seek the Lord. And let me give you three, three words here. Remember God's faithfulness. Okay. You want to put yourself in a position to respond faithfully in seeking the Lord, whatever the trials are that come your way. First, remember God's faithfulness, right? Never forget that your God never fails. Proverbs 30 verse five says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. God never calls you into his kingdom, forgives you of your sins, and then sets you out to run through the world on your own. Like, hey, watch out out there. It's dangerous. Things can get tough. Good luck. No, he calls us, he forgives us, he redeems us, and then he fills us, he leads us, he guides us, he protects us every step of the way. In Romans 8, Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right, that's not a, a proclamation of, hey, nobody can stand up against you, you're always gonna be right, because, you know, God's for you, so do whatever you want and it's gonna be okay. No, no, no. What he's saying is there is no battle, no struggle, no trial that will come against you that is stronger than the love, the grace, and the mercy of the God you serve. And he will always deliver you if you will seek him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you because he is faithful. We remember God's faithfulness. Second, we remember God's blessings. God has been good to you. Listen, whatever's going on in your life, however bad you might think a certain situation is in your life, let me remind you of this. 
God has been good to you. And I know that because you just took a breath and you just took another one. And you're holding your breath now until I say that you took another one because you know it's coming. But now you just took another one. God has been good to us. It doesn't mean things don't get hard. But every good thing in our lives is a gift from God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. I know how easy it is to get lost in the negatives, but there are so many blessings in our lives if we will just take a moment and step back and look. We remember God's faithfulness. We remember God's blessings. Third, we remember God's purposes. Remember God's purposes. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33 says, God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Now in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about the order of the worship service. He's talking about when his people get together to worship him, to praise his name, that it is not a free-for-all. He's, he, he's talking about this purpose, this order to this. But what we see in that is when God is talking about how we worship him, he is also relaying to us the nature of who he is. We worship him according to his nature. He's not a God of chaos, but a God of order. That means everything that God does, everything God allows us to go through, everything God allows into our lives is for a purpose. I wish I could tell you I knew what that purpose was in every situation. Don't you wish you had that information in your, in your hands? I do. But here's what I know. Even when I can't see it, even when I don't know it, even when there's doubt in my head that it even exists, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has a purpose in all that he does. That means that even in the most hectic and chaotic moments of our lives, those moments are not hectic and chaotic because God doesn't have a plan. It's, it's hectic and chaotic because of our brokenness. But we remember that even God will bring order and purpose to our hectic and chaotic moments. So the question in this then becomes, do we in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the joyful, in everything, do we turn to Jesus? Do we seek him? Do we seek to remember what he is doing? True faith seeks the Lord. We must seek the Lord, turn to him above all else. But second, we remember that true faith trusts the Lord. Verse 22 through 26 shows us how true faith trusts the Lord. Starting verse 22, remember, Isaac has just prayed to the Lord because of Rebekah's childlessness. And it says God was receptive to the prayer and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. Now we're going to hear about what, what happens here. It says, but the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. 
One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first came out red looking, covered with hair like a fur coat and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. True faith, trust the Lord. After seeking the Lord for an answer to their prayers, Isaac and Rebekah are blessed with, with twins. And during her pregnancy, Rebekah senses this struggle. I've never been pregnant. I've seen my wife be pregnant. It looks uncomfortable. Am I wrong? Anybody? No. It looks uncomfortable. Apparently for Rebecca, there was a great discomfort. There was something bigger going on, something greater at work. She finds this discomfort. In fact, in, in the Hebrew language, the word for, um, the, the, it says the children struggled in her womb. The, the word for struggle there is, is translated elsewhere as crush or oppress, right? This isn't like, oh, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. It is significant pain. And it serves as an ominous sign to Rebecca. It foreshadows the, the, the future friction between the two children in her womb. But all she knows at this point is, man, this just doesn't feel right. And she questions, why is this happening to me? And, and various scholars uh, debate what, what exactly this question means. Some think she's, she's kind of giving a woe is me kind of thing. Like, oh God, why is this happening to me? I don't think that's it. If you look at, at Rebecca's life uh, and you look at the circumstances of her pregnancy and you watch her life as it, as it goes on, I think she's really just questioning, okay, God, you blessed me in my old age with this pregnancy. Okay, what are you doing here? What are you trying to accomplish? It's not a complaint. It's an honest question of intrigue. Right? Isaac and Rebecca had prayed for this and God delivered. So now why this pain and this struggle? And at that point, God reveals to her why she senses the struggle. And it's because he is raising up two opposing nations in her womb, two brothers who will fight, who will eventually be separated from one another, two nations in conflict. That's really all we get. And that's all she hears of this until the twins are born. And at the birth of the children, we see these two nations and we see their names revealed the first, the older son is, is Esau, named for his, his appearance, his red hair that covered him like a fur coat. I know some babies are born more hairy than others, but when it says he was born like he was wearing a fur coat with red hair, I get like the weirdest picture in my head of this, this little kid, like kind of spooky looking kid. Um, I'm sure he was cute. I'm sure he was adorable. Uh, but the picture in my head is not that. Um, so, so Esau's born and he's named for his appearance. And then Jacob is born and he's named for his action. It's named for, for it says he's grasping the heel. The name Jacob is really interesting. Um, 
If you look at the name and this idea of one who grasps the heel, the, the original meaning of Jacob is one that, that really means to protect or that God protects. And the fact that he was born grasping his brother's heel, that connection, when they named Jacob, he was really named as one who protects from behind. He was like the rear guard in the army. He was the one looking out for his brother, looking out for his family. One who would lay down his life to protect the weakest, most vulnerable in his family. And yet eventually that meaning would switch. Eventually that grasping his heel would come to be known as as one who trips up or one who defrauds. Because of the way Jacob lived his life, the usage of that name changed. It was meant to be a blessing. See, both of the boys' names were were actually meant as as positives. But they would become to be seen as negative aspects of their nature and their activity as the story unfolds. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see how this works. We're going to see how these positive names become descriptions of the negative nature of who they are. But for now, we simply see that these two nations are born, Jacob and Esau. And there's a lot of little pieces going on in, this, in, the, in these verses. But I think they really hinge on what we don't see. What we don't read here. Because in the midst of the struggle with childlessness, the joy of pregnancy, the battle, the, the, the questions, the pain and discomfort of pregnancy, God speaks to Rebecca, tells her what's going on. And how does Rebecca push back? Does she? Does she question God? Does she fight against it? Does she say, no, 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 God, this can't be right. No, she accepts the word of the Lord. And and remember, when God tells her what's going on, he says, there's two nations in your womb that will be separated. He's saying, your sons will be separated. And then he says, the the, the younger, or he says, the older will serve the younger. That was not culturally acceptable. What God tells her does not make sense. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And yet, she accepts it. She trusts him in the birth of her sons. See, just as Rebecca may never have understood the full gravity of the situation in her womb and with her children, you and I will probably never get a full picture of how every piece of our lives fit together. But scripture tells us over and over and over again that God is working all things together for our good. Romans 8, 28, right? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God works all things together for our good and for his glory. Ephesians 1 verse 11 and 12 says, In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Everything God does is for our good and for his glory. Now, we will still have questions, 
as we walk through our lives. Amen? Amen. We will have questions about purpose. We'll have questions about means. We'll have questions about the future. We'll have questions about our suffering and the suffering of those around us. Questions are a natural part of life and they shouldn't be rejected or set aside as like, well, that's not being faithful to have a question or have a doubt. No, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 no. Questions and doubts are are a natural part of our lives. But here's the thing. True faith is a matter of what we do when we don't get the answer that we wanted or when we don't seem to get an answer at all. Do we still trust in the Lord? Do we complain when we're disappointed? Or do we surrender to God's will, even in our disappointment? Do we respond in anger to situations that frustrate us? Or do we rest peacefully in the fact that God is doing a work that we just simply can't understand, can't comprehend in that moment? Do we collapse in despair when we don't get the things that we think we want or think we should have, things we, we are certain that we deserve? Or do we celebrate the fact that God has given us everything we need? I gotta be honest. As I thought through these questions this week, I was embarrassed by my own answers. I was embarrassed not because I have questions, not because sometimes I struggle with doubts. I was embarrassed because far too often I let those questions and those doubts overwhelm me and I fail to trust my God with the answers. See, true faith We'll still have questions. True faith will still have doubts, but true faith continues to trust God with the answers. It's easy, it's easy to say we trust the Lord when things are good. But does our hope remain in Him, in His purposes, in His provision, even when we can't see it? Our God is faithful to His promises. When he promised to make Abraham's family a great nation, it wasn't something that he was going to accomplish in Abraham's lifetime or in the lifetime of Abraham's children or grandchildren or many generations to follow. When God established his covenant, he knew that it would require faithful children of faithful children of faithful children to bring it to fruition. Isaac was the first step in that program. And just as his father Abraham had trusted in the Lord, so too did Isaac. He watched the faith of his parents and he followed suit. He continually sought the Lord. He continually trusted in the Lord. And in doing so, he displayed a true deep faith that carried the family torch of God's blessing and God's promises. Church family. We are far from perfect. This is not a perfect church because you're not perfect and I'm not perfect and not a single one of us is perfect. But may we be a people who are marked not by some perfection of our own standards, 
but a people who are marked by true, deep, and meaningful faith. A faith that celebrates the joy of God's blessing. A faith that finds peace during life's trials. A faith that sees purpose in the midst of our earthly confusion. A faith that breathes the hope of knowing the faithfulness of our sovereign, reigning, and ruling King Jesus. Let that faith be treasured in our hearts and be known to the world around us because that is the faith that carries on the promises of God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for who you are. And as always, we are just so grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy. We're thankful for the salvation and deliverance that we do not deserve in any way, shape, and form, but one that has been so freely and beautifully granted to us through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the reign of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come to you today and we repent of the ways that we have put the weight of, um, of our significance, of our deliverance, of our satisfaction, of our hope, of our joy, all of that. We repent of the ways we put that on our own shoulders and thought we could figure that out, thought we could be good enough to handle it, thought we could figure it. And God, we lay that at your feet and we simply say, you are God and we are not. And we thank you for that. And we pray that in the days, in the weeks ahead, that we would simply be reminded of your majesty and your glory, that we would seek you in all things and we would trust you in all things because you are reigning and ruling. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.